Hello, listeners. Before we get started for today, we have a couple of announcements. First of all, we're going to have another interview with Tea Time Hugo nominated author Chuck Tingle. And so, if you have any questions about either Harriet Porber books or questions for Chuck in general, you should uh, let us know by June 16th. And if you have not read either Harriet Porber books, they are perfect beach reads slash camp reads slash pretending you're working when you're not (laughs) reads. Just don't read it on your work computer or phone or tablet because they are not safe for work. (laughs) True. Very true. And I don't think that you necessarily need to have read the book to listen to this episode to enjoy this episode. Probably. Uh, I think you should read the book, but Jesse did an incredible, very comprehensive (laughs) recap at the top. So I think you can enjoy it if you haven't read it yet. So the next several things are all about Pride Month with hashtag Ruthless Productions, because as you know, we do a bunch of stuff. For instance, we have very cool pride exclusive merch if you like many of us have been looking at the target pride collection this year and just thinking to yourself but why perhaps instead you should head over to hashtag ruthless.com where you can see our pride merch that was designed by a real queer person namely me (laughs) and uh get that instead because it's way cooler than a rainbow ally shirt i promise And you can feel good in knowing that 100% of those dollars are going to supporting independent queer people. Wait, that doesn't make any sense. Uh, The money goes to queer people and not (laughs) whatever the heck's going on at Target. Exactly. Yes. Since this is Pride Month, we are bringing back our Pride activity book, Hogwarts is for Everyone. If you missed out downloading this incredible activity book of things for you to do, such as connect the dots, coloring pages, Mad Libs, other cool stuff for you to be doing when you want to unplug. It is available on our website and it's totally free. Yes, just a heads up, it is rated R. Not for your children or for children or people (laughs) under whatever your age of consuming adult content is. That is not what this is for. Correct. Exactly. So... Also, we are doing a exciting Pride Month, hey, you should really join our Patreon thing, in which anyone who joins during the month of June will get a personalized gay ant affirmations, something like that. Jesse, tell them what you're going to do. <laughs> uh, yeah, if you join our Patreon this month, I will record either some uh, affirmative words of love that I create, or if you're like, I graduated from such and such, or I started to like transition or come into myself and you want support about that, I will give that to you. And it's audio clip that you can uh, play to yourself when you're feeling down. It's going to be great. Yeah, uh, there will be details on our Patreon about how to let us know what specific thing you would like Jesse to encourage you or affirm you about. But yeah. Go to patreon.com slash thegaylyprofit and join us. You'll get a lot more in exchange, but this is an extra special little thing. Last thing, and then we're going to get into the episode. On June 24th at 3 o'clock, we will be on Instagram Live having a tea party with all of you. That's 
gay as fuck. <laughs> it's gonna be really fun. So if you're not already following us on Instagram, go do that. We're at the Gaily Prophet. We're shadow banned, but you can still find our page. You might never see anything that we post if you don't go hunting for it, but we are there. So yes, 3 p.m. Eastern time. Just come hang out with us. Make some tea. We'll be drinking tea. We'll be talking about stuff. It's going to be real cute. That's it. We've been talking forever. Please enjoy this lovely episode on a lovely book. And with that, trans people are valid and wonderful. JK Rowling fucking sucks. <laughs> Those Chuck Tingle tinglers are working. I was like, has Chuck Tingle been listening to our podcast? Because <laughs> didn't we make that point in like episode three? <laughs> this is how everything should be written. Let trans people have a happy ending. Hello, and welcome to The Gayest Prophet, a satirical yet sincere podcast where two queer IRL bards talk about trans wizard Harriet Porber and the theater of love. I'm Gay Malarkey. <laughs> and I am Jessamay Won't. And today we are talking about... <laughs> today we're talking about um, book two in the what will hopefully be a series of Harriet Porber books, Harriet Porber and the Theater of Love, in which... Harriet Porber is in a rut because the wild success of her latest spell from the last book... Um, was banned because capitalism is the worst and she's just kind of <laughs> hanging out with her husband Snabe who is doing the whole Vegas residency at a casino thing with his band Seven Inch Nails. At Harriet's birthday celebration the two of them among other things go to a magical shooting range where Harriet meets sentient mailbox calling Creepy who wants her to speak at a local magic shop. To her surprise, it is a packed house of fans of her work. After the after this event, she signs with indie uh, magic production company owned by French unicorn Mick Flamel, and to continue on her success, is then offered a lunch meeting by the head and magical entertainer in Vegas currently, the great Magini, who is a ginormous hot snake lady. Uh, <laughs> she offers Harry to deal for a Vegas magic show with JK Recreations, the biggest and most unscrupulous group in town. To sweeten the deal, Magini offers Harriet a theater of her own. But as Harriet discovers that the theater is in fact crumbling around them, and the plumber and the other inspectors have been magically duped to ignore this complete breach of building safety. So she backs out of the deal, and Harriet's manager, Manerma, finds an old theater that just needs a little bit of renovation to be just like new. Like new. Like old new. It's a, it's a classic <laughs> game, you guys. So while that is being renovated by her friends, Harriet creates some tr a truly amazing magic show around the magic of love and creation, which both of your hosts cried about. But... <laughs> Alas, sexy villain Magini informs Harriet that JKR Re Recreation has brought mixed company because never trust a businessman or giant corporations. So, no show and no theater. Harriet at least, at least gets to steal her props back from the theater. 
But on the way back from middle of nowhere, Nevada, her, Snape, and Bumble Boar are chased by Magini via car and then by the sheer speed of giant magical snake lady who ramps into Snape's convertible. Harriet wakes up to Magini constricting Snape and doing some serious villain monologuing. Magini makes Harriet get into the magical moving box they had used to get her props out because it collapses into space-time, which would kill her. Snape, though, sings the transportation spell he's been struggling with the whole book to transport Harriet away from this danger, but into the new danger of being in the middle of nowhere in the Nevada desert with a busted leg. Thankfully, she stumbles into the home of friendly neighborhood sentient breakfast food, Cereal Black, who is also a victim of JK recreation and is now a desert hermit. But after he finds out what Harriet and the other magical users have been going through, he's ready to offer her back up. They walk through the desert at night and are finally within cell service when our old friend Breko, the sentient motorcycle, drives up to update us that Snape and Bumbleborn are okay and give our heroes a ride into town. Despite the setback, uh, Snape is mostly okay and Bumbleborn is bedridden, but... Snape manages to get the hotel that he is working with to allow him and his band to not work one night and so for Harriet to do her show. They tighten security around this um, using a mix of magic and technology, thanks to Bumble Boar. But Magini has fucked with Harriet's uh, show spell, their tech, and the entire audience to disrupt the show to leave Harriet defenseless for Magini to eat her. But fearless trans hero Never Long Bottle picked from the crowd for a sword trick and having met Harriet back at the the magical store speaking from the beginning of the book, beheads hot snake lady like a badass. Hashtag black girl magic. In the end though, while the world recognizes Magini's treachery, JK recreation is still out there being fucking terrible. Harriet though now has a show of her own and her own mentee in Neva who is already inspiring others. This is the end of the book. But as Snape points out through his metamagic, Harriet and her story of love will still be an idea that, will, that someone can hold in their hearts, even if no one is reading, and a reminder that you don't need a sword or a wand to face down these overwhelming powers of darkness. You just need love in your heart and the courage to stand up and say no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Six minutes of... <laughs> I just got chills. I just got like full body chills when you got to the end. It's so good. yeah all right yeah let's get into this we have different segments of course they're they're mostly all of a theme but you'll you'll see jesse doesn't know what i've called them yet so here we go i don't know what you've called them yet i'm very excited about this uh we're gonna start things off with bubbleless morphous where we talk about our general thoughts and like plot stuff and reflect upon the book uh, so yes, the most important question of all, I think, which we won't have an answer to until we talk to Chuck, is did J.K. Rowling threaten to sue Chuck Tingle? Because I kind of, I kind of, once I got to that towards the end of the book, and it was like poor Serial Black is like they kept sending lawyers after me, and it was fucking awful. And I'm like, did her lawyers fucking threaten perfect human being, Hope Punk, Chuck Tingle? How dare they? I know. Yeah, that and there's like a couple times where it's specifically like, this is a parody and it is protected by the First Amendment. I was like, oh shit. <laughs> like, is this, did this, did this book come from 
her like ridiculous crusade to silence everyone who has anything bad to say about her i don't i don't know i i am i would be not shocked to find out that he was sent a bunch of lawyers which is just really a waste of everyone's time it is it's interesting because like i mean one it wouldn't surprise me at all and two it the only thing that would surprise me is if someone like she could succeed if chuck was also in the uk because their like slander laws are so much more in favor of the person making the accusation than they are here but like it would be pretty ridiculous for her to try and sue someone in the u.s when our like laws protecting things like parody are so much stronger than they are in the uk yeah um yeah what do you have first uh i just kind of wanted to start off with sort of overall how i like this book is sort of more about like harriet's journey of like self-discovery and self-reflection than it is you know like in the first book more about the romance between her and snape but like it's actually really lovely because it's just like they get to just be have this healthy relationship where they like support one another we get to just be into the plot of like what is like what is going on with her you know Mm -hmm. which i feel like take note writers of media (laughs) just because like stories about people getting together are cute and i get it but like i actually really like stories about where people are already in like an established relationship because there's ways you can kind of like play with that that i think is far more interesting than the getting together Mm -hmm. part and they have such healthy communication they do yeah that was one of my first notes too it's really it's really nice to just like see a healthy relationship in writing i i don't know that i had fully realized how infrequently you see that until i was like well i really haven't like read a couple in a book that i'm like i relate to this couple maybe in the last i don't know 10 years <laughs> like it's been it's been a real long time since i've been able to read myself and my relationship into like something i was seeing in a book yeah it's i don't know i think it's something i think about a lot just because that's just so much of like romance as a genre and then also just because i'm reading a lot of often very gay fan fiction it's also about like how can we get these two characters who don't kiss and canon to kiss and it's like yes i would like mm-hmm. to see that but also right yeah and then yeah and the and the bonus like of them about being like really clear about their needs and desires is just like oh thank god <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. so yeah the one passage where it's like right now i'm gonna be here for snabe and like tomorrow when i'm breaking down he's gonna be there for me and it's great and being in a long-term relationship is great and i was like yay <laughs> I know. You're right. <laughs> I know. I definitely had a lot of feelings in this book. Which I knew was going to happen. Yeah. What do you have next? The real villain of this book is capitalism. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is always my favorite because it's like capitalism <laughs> is always the villain. Um, yeah. But I just really appreciated how like that was one of the messages. It's like, oh, wow. Yeah. Having a bunch of money. <laughs> can make you do terrible things without repercussions. And in reality, you probably shouldn't have this kind of power. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. So 
It's always a good day for that. Yeah. Love to have it stated that it was capitalism all along. Mm. So, okay, real... I'm gonna... I think... Is it Magini or Magini? Because it's like Voldemort's snake, right? What did I say? I don't remember what I said. I think you said Magini. I was saying Magini because it's like Nagini. Mm. I'm gonna say Magini, if that's okay. okay. Mm. I really appreciated that her... The, like... Twingler, the Twingler posts that she's liking that are being shitty about Harriet aren't transphobic, and that once again, transphobia doesn't show up in this book as a thing. I just really like that, really appreciate it. I just think this book is so well done in so many ways, and the point that she just made is one of them, and is also really good exposition woven into the first couple chapters of this book where we get kind of an update about about where Harriet and Snape have been in between these two books Mm -hmm. but it's coming in through this lens of something is bothering you like you tell tell me about it and and like we go through the exposition it's like oh I feel better now that I've gotten Mm -hmm. this off of my chest and it's like so good (laughs) yeah yeah I really like that I'm not going to be able to just find the tweets really quick, probably. But they're they're basically really silly things like Harriet Porber is ugly and stupid and her face sucks. And I think there's something really lovely in equating those with the transphobic tweets that J.K. Rowling was liking because it's sort of distilling that hatred down to its like schoolyard bullying roots and it's yeah. like really at a fundamental level this is what you sound like when you say transphobic shit uh and i think that that's really beautiful <laughs> you sound like a mean 10 year old is that what you're going for here because right. no one likes a mean 10 year old <laughs> right it's basically not even a half step away from being you smell and your shoes are from target and i hate you it's just like yeah exactly <laughs> All right. Yeah. What do you have next? Um, I would like to talk about some of the characters that we get. First, I want to talk about Nick Flamel, who is a, I guess I want to say an attractive unicorn. Um, He has a beautiful pink mane and I think is wearing a fancy suit when we first meet him. With gray streaks in his mane too, which... Love a silver fox. Yeah, okay. So uh, here's our description that we get. He's wearing a business suit, like a dark, well-tailored suit, sunglasses, and a long pink mane flowing around his shoulders. He's an older gentleman, but you wouldn't know this without paying close attention to the strings of gray in his otherwise vibrant mane. Yeah, it's very hot. No, very, very sexy. I was trying to, like, read his dialogue with a French accent, but I don't know what that, what that sounds like, so I just gave up like, for a while. <laughs> uh, and so, you, so Mick the Hot Vampire is sort of trying unicorn. to Unicorn. Unicorn. What did I just say? Vampire. I need to put this beer down, maybe. Okay. <laughs> Mick the Hot Unicorn is sort of her... I don't want to say manager. Well, I guess sort of manager. Because he owns... Uh, entertainment company he's trying to help her out but it's still and it's still like it's a bummer when and then later in the book he sells out to 
JK Recreation because they gave him a shit ton of money. And I'm like, just the betrayal of that is very frustrating. And I want to like him, but also I should have known that you should not trust <laughs> dudes who are here for the money. I think that that means that the character is perfectly crafted. Yes. Because I think that's exactly the goal, right? Is to be like, money corrupts. And it's like, yeah, you liked this unicorn, didn't you? Yeah, uh, I think the we get a lot of new characters in this book. I'm going to talk about the three of them that I particularly love. So yeah, Mick is one of them. And then, of course, we have Neville Longbottle, who I just want to hug because mm-hmm. she's, like, incredible. And there's a, there's a scene where after Harriet talks about magic and stuff at this, like, magic shop, like, Neva comes up to her to be like, you're really inspiring both because of magic and also because I'm also trans and you're an inspiration. And I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> <Yeah>. <sighs> solidarity (laughs) (laughs) and then also she gets the awesome bit where she gets to fucking behead the sexy snake lady which is like good for you good for you girl yeah (laughs) yep and then i feel i feel a lot of things about how hot i thought Nagini was (laughs) (laughs) like giant evil gold snake lady is somehow exactly my type. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, I put in my notes, step on me, and I'm like, you don't have legs. It would be crushing. I was about to say, it's like, are you slither on me, mommy? Is that what you're experiencing? (laughs) I think more of a crush me, mommy, I think. Yeah. Oh, yeah, constrict me, mommy. (laughs) (laughs) Uh the top hat doesn't hurt. The top hat also doesn't hurt. <laughs> <laughs> uh, listeners, there's a bit in this book. There's a lot. There's a lot of stealth jokes in this book. There's a bit where McGeady makes a joke that is definitely, at first, you think a cannibalism joke, which it totally is a cannibalism joke. Well, not cannibalism because she's a snake, but but she's also a person. So yes, but. Her and Harriet are having lunch, and Harriet has spaghetti, which is, of course, a Tingler exclusive. T- Tingle signature, I should say. And she gets a whole, a whole rock <laughs> when she swallows all in front of Harriet. <laughs> it's such a power. Move. It is. Yeah, Magini um, just kills it with everything about this lunch in terms of, like, just fucking topping the situation. Like, holy shit. You may be a great fucking stage magician, but you missed your calling as, like, a mystical dom because, holy God. I mean, truly, truly. Yeah. Yeah, so just so well written because I'm just like, you're so evil and it's so hot. (laughs) 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 wait but were you gonna talk about the joke where she's like oh yeah it's like all warlocks have a little wizard in them and then mcganey's like i certainly do 
And Harriet's like, oh, are we talking about sex or are we talking about cannibalism? I can't tell. <laughs> that bit is so good because when I immediately read that line, I'm like, LOL, cannibalism joke. Insert joke about the show Hannibal, whatever you would like. Uh, and Harriet's like, this is a sex thing. And then half a page later, it's like, oh, this is a eating people joke. <laughs> And then she's like, wait, in either case, was it a joke at all? I can no longer tell. (laughs) Which is great because you actually can't tell in the scene, which is just, it's so good. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's just, you can't tell. Yeah, so uh, this book, in fact, does pass the Brechtel test, in case any of you are wondering. (laughs) Yeah, it sure does. Which is great. And... this book, this book is just so fun. It's mm-hmm. just, I think, because I think, uh, I think the last book there's a little more angst. You know, this is just a, this is just an exciting thrill ride of hilarity and like just all the way through. Yeah, I thought it's like sharper and less earnest than the first one, while still being incredibly poignant and like right, really fun. I liked it. We also get, I think, a deepening of the magical rules and structure of the world that Chuck is creating here, too, which I also really appreciate. I think I would reread the first one more than I would reread this one. But I also don't think that they necessarily are, like, things that need to be compared. I don't know. Yeah. Obviously, it's like a sequel. They go together. Mm-hmm. I feel like the first one's more about feelings and the second one is more about like world building or something. I don't really know how to say what I'm trying to say. Yeah. It feels a little bit less intimate with Harriet herself and a little bit more about the world around her and kind of the world in general. Uh, I also, I mean, we're going to get talk about the sexy stuff in its own section, but I actually think the sex scenes are better in the first book. Yeah. Or maybe there's more space for them, perhaps. I thought that the last one in this book was really hot. Oh, when they're when they're in the hotel room, yes. Uh-huh. No, that that one was definitely the best sex scene. But yeah, I think yeah. Let's let's revisit that. But sort of speaking of sex scenes, my next thing is about the spell, the Mysterian Audiencia spell, which felt like a. What's it called? Like a misdirect in in the plot because it I was like, oh, someone like a real person is gonna like sneak in. There's gonna be like a sex tape scandal. They're not gonna notice because they have this mm. like summoned audience. There's something is gonna happen with this, and then it's like the next morning she wakes up and her phone is going off, and people are like, Are you okay? And then it had nothing to do with that whatsoever. <laughs> I was like, oh shit, <laughs> like I just got so faked out. <laughs> Well, that didn't even occur to me because I was just like, what happened? What's going on? <laughs> uh, maybe that's just my like deep paranoia. I was like, a room full of fake people. There could be a real person anywhere. <laughs> what are you doing? Exactly. Is the door locked? <laughs> I mean, is the door locked is a good question. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh... Do you think that Mick and Bumbleborn remember to lock it on the way out? No. Yeah. No, they did not. They did not care. I did really love that, though, as an escalation of the, like, 
meta conversation about us the audience watching them have sex the first time and then like the second time they like summon a meta audience who are further stand-ins for us it's just very layered yeah the 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 meta bits here were so good (laughs) i mean i of course love a good breaking of the fourth wall but i mean guess this is Last breaking the fourth wall is there's been a window cut and the window opens and sometimes they wave at you. It's just like, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, well said. Uh, As as noted in my intro for this episode, Serial Black's Vegas show is described as having been satire but sincere. And I was like, oh, that's like the alternative to humorous yet ruthless. Like, that's our other tagline, satire <laughs> but sincere. That is that is the alternative, alternative universe version of our podcast. Uh-huh, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh. um, and then the last thing I want to say is just that I laughed so hard at the part where McGinney leans in and goes, Remember those social media posts I liked? That wasn't an accident. <laughs> do you, do you want to know what liter the joke that literally it's not even a joke that but it literally kills me. What? Yes. About Magini having an exceptionally long burial plot. <laughs> I don't know why. But I'm just, you just like imagining like a, like a 4D foot. Listeners, I will have you know that Jesse had to remove her glasses. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like crying because it's so funny. And I, I cannot explain to you why, but it is. Because this book is incredible, that's why. Yeah. Welcome to Sexualis Secundus, where we talk about sexy stuff. That spells from the last book. Which you should definitely read, and then read this book. Mm-hmm. G- give yourself a good beach read, or if you're in the southern hemisphere, a good staying in your house because it's cold. Read, mm-hmm. y'all. We got a shout out in we this did. book, like almost literally directly, because you know more of that leaning on the fourth wall. We get a shout out about um, the lack of lube. That is never explicitly said, but uh, Snape has a self-lubricating dildo in his strap, which honestly, um, incredible, uh-huh. like perfect. Just it just magically lubes itself. That's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> How can I get one? <laughs> this is the the like our constant refrain of like what is the point of magic if and I feel like this is the the pinnacle of if you can't have fill in the blank what is the point of magic and it's like this is this is what magic is for is <laughs> to have self lubricating prosthetic sex toys whatever you want to say and also this line is I 
was reading alone and I laughed out loud so hard. <laughs> I like had to put the book down. I was just so tickled. Oh my God. Because it's, I mean, yeah, I mean, like that, that line was for us and I, and I say thank you, Chuck Tingle. <laughs> thank you so much. <laughs> yeah, I think I uh, squealed out loud. I was reading it uh, in a room of myself and I was like, I literally was screaming, <laughs> which I often, I often do when I'm like watching or reading a thing. I often am just like, oh my God, yes. But this is like, a, oh my fucking God, shut up. <laughs> it's just so exciting. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. Very, very exciting. So, I, I mean, I don't read a lot of uh, urban fantasy, but urban fantasy has 24 hours to respond to using magic for a sub-lubricating dildo. Like, please. What are y'all doing with magic if not this? Yes. Oh my god, yes. Okay. Yeah, so per our discussion earlier about the sex in the last book being a little bit hotter for the most part, the feelings that I had about it, weirdly, was like... I felt a deep appreciation about the conversations around how sex improves or can improve within the context of a long-term relationship and like learning your partner's body and like their likes and dislikes and having, you know, clear boundaries and stuff like that. So I feel a little bit weird being like, I really loved that. And also... Aside from that third sex scene, I, like, didn't get as into the sex in this book, but I actually think it might have been the conversations around why they were having sex that made me feel less into it, even though I really love all the fourth wall breaking. And in the last situation, I actually love the conversation where it's like, we're you know i guess it was not as fourth wall breaking maybe it was like we're having sex because like i'm deciding for myself whether having sex before my show is good luck or bad luck or whatever yeah but i guess the the whole thing where it's like well this is a romance novel so we have to have sex kind of made it sound like we're having scheduled sex which like i've been married for 11 years like scheduled sex is a fact of life but also you know it does lack some of the like at least initially some of the hotness of like spontaneous sex so yeah yeah for first it and actually so the and i and i agree with you because i picked up on that too where sort of the like it's a romance novel there should be some sex scenes and it kind of reminded me of a thing i was reading earlier this week about one of the strengths of fan fiction over reading things that are traditionally published which is there are times in when people are writing books where they get feedback from the editor being like, you need to add this thing or like you need to like write more things to fit whatever reason an editor is like, right, it's in the genre or we need to appeal to XYZ demographic or like blah de blah. So, so, people, so writers will write in extra stuff that doesn't necessarily need to be there to fulfill whatever arbitrary or not, you know, whatever the editors think that, that the book needs. And sometimes you can tell it that it's there and sometimes you can't. But like with fan fiction, no one is dictating how short or how long the story you're trying to tell needs to be. So there's less erroneous stuff in a like fan fiction because if what you if, if your idea only is like two hundred fifty words, that's it. You're like, cool, great, I've achieved all of the feelings and thoughts and ideas I have for this. 
done. And, Mm -hmm. you know, in general is like also really good. And also it it leads to a, a, to a kind of like tightness and a sharpness of like some, of some fan fiction stories. And I was thinking about that for this, where I think you could have not had the first two sex scenes and it would have, it would have been fine. Even though having said that, I do, I did think the line that I like a little escalation, incredibly hot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> In a way that I also cannot describe to you. But. <laughs> yeah, no, that's interesting. I mean, because, because there, you know, Chuck Nickel has no editor, like everything is self-published. I've been reading some of his other works and, you know, some of them are like 12 pages but I do wonder if because this one is one of, you know, maybe a dozen that are published as novels that you can like get in paperback, if that felt sort of like constricting as like, okay, well, I have to fit this into the romance novel structure. Yeah, because I, I guess, right, I, I think that the first two sex scenes could have been there. They just felt a little like, let's get this over with E in a mm. way that I was like, but what if we, I mean, but why? <laughs> like, yeah. you could either just, like, don't have sex if you don't want to, or, like, you know, just don't do not do it on my behalf, Harriet and Snape. Yeah, or it's like, you could have just, like, fooled around or something. Like, it didn't have to be, it could have, you know, mm-hmm. didn't have to be penetrative sex. It could have just been, like, whatever, whatever, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what else do you have? Snape is a lot of meta- hinting at a third or future books and i am very excited about the possibility of them having a poly triad in book three yeah if there's going to be a book three and and also of course as i mentioned before in the podcast any love triangles in books should be a poly triad if if it can be it should be because that's cool but love triangles are whack i was just thinking about this the other day that like it's really not a triangle if all of the points don't connect with one another. Everyone needs to stop calling them triangles. They're what the... I don't know what they are. A love a point of an arrow. I don't know. I don't know enough <laughs> about ge- geometry to give you what kind of the whatever correct shape that would be. I, all I know is that triangles have three sides. Three corners and three sides. And a love triangle definitionally has three corners and two sides. So... I'm agreeing with you is what's happening. It should go in all directions. Otherwise, it's not fun. <laughs> yeah. So, and there's a lot of fun discovery and stuff you can do with that. Is all I'm saying. Writers. Do you think that Neva Longbottle is going to be their, their third? Or do you think they will have a literal unicorn <laughs> as their unicorn? I would not <laughs> put it past it to be another actual unicorn. I really like the uh, mentor-mentee relationship between Harriet and Neva. So I would like for Neva to get a partner of her choosing. But write someone else hot. I am hereby putting on a seal of approval for it being a literal unicorn because that makes me laugh <laughs> a lot. More hot unicorns is what <laughs> we're saying. <laughs> um, this part is like definitionally sexy, but like my note is earnest. I just really appreciated how 
I don't know, open and honest the conversation was about like how it even at, you know, having been married for two years, it's like awkward to talk about new fantasies and like how that doesn't mean that it's bad and it's like totally okay. And it's just important that you can trust your partner and that they listen to you. And it, I mean, this is, I think now having read more than just like these two Chuck Tingle books, I think the true magic of Chuck Tingle in general is that these are, you know, his books tend to be like very silly and also very focused around hot sex, but there's always these very earnest, very positive messages embedded all throughout the text that are about consent and communication and respect and like listening and boundaries. And the more I like enter into the tingle verse, the more I'm like building a pedestal for Chuck Tingle. If he wants it, you know, he can have it. It's just real good. No, I, I really, I, yeah, I super, I super, super appreciate it partly because so because of how sort of the fan fiction just structures itself with having very clear content warnings Mm -hmm. on its work. When you're when you're reading like a like an like an erotic or romantic fan fiction, you kind of you're gonna know if it's it's hurt comfort, if it's angst, if it's dark, if there's like serious things you want to contact warn and like I have definitely read things that are the opposite of all the <laughs> of all the things where there's just everything's real dark and like sometimes it is hot. But what I find sometimes in like romantic comedies or like romance novels where you get things like bad boundaries or like not great communication and it's not like the story doesn't address itself as such it does it's just kind of a you know depending on the story it's like they deserved it or or whatever it's like oh it's fine they're in love they can just they can just sweep this red flag under the rug right and i think that I mean, more so than reading some like really dark shit is, I think, damaging because it's like if if you're presenting those things as normal, they become, they're normalized. And I mean, we live in fucking rape culture, so there's a lot of fucking violence in the way people treat each other and in romantic relationships that's normalized. So I just really appreciate these romantic stories having open communication, clear boundaries, like acknowledging people's where people are at the moment. You know, and their desires and their fantasies in a way that's not shameful or weird, and mm. it's just like here it is, health healthy ways of being in a relationship, and it's just I just really, I just really love it. <laughs> yeah, I also think there's something really nice in having specifically the part about how it's like we've been together, we like experiment with new stuff all the time. And it's still awkward to bring something up for the first time. Because I think for a lot of people, that's the first like, hurdle, you know, is like, well, if I feel this uncomfortable bringing it up, then it must be like bad, right? Especially people who are brought up in like purity culture. And so I just feel like if your first foray into even thinking about kink is because you're like reading a harry potter parody book that has hot sex in it and you're presented with this information of like no it's 
we we're gonna be together for 30 years and it's still gonna feel weird to bring something up for the first time because it's like what if my partner laughs at me even if i know that my partner would never laugh at me yeah i just feel like there's something really freeing in the idea of people getting this information it's such a gift to have it some have something be kink positive that also is like looking at the reader being like it's okay if you feel weird about wanting things that doesn't mean that you can't have them or that you're bad for wanting them or that like you shouldn't talk about them and i just think that's really lovely yeah i felt that like never comes up in like romantic media never it's either like you know they just don't talk about it at all or if they talk about it it's like the most natural thing in the world yeah and as someone who does not think you should read savage love the column or the podcast it's kind of like yeah where would you even be getting that information from elsewise besides right. tiktok which is how i learned so many things now in 2021 <laughs> yeah. uh anyway the last thing that I wanted to bring up is that I actually can't remember what scene it was in. I just like so profoundly appreciated the inclusion of how Snave is getting off, which didn't come up in the last book. And it is described so like respectfully in terms of the way that he discusses his body while also like you know, acknowledging the fact that probably what most people think of when they think of a strap-on, like, you're not going to achieve orgasm from fucking someone with that. So I just thought that was, like, really rad, and I really appreciated it. Yeah. No, I that, that is an excellent point, and I did really appreciate that. Welcome to Spellcrafting, where we're going to talk about magic systems and stuff. I have, yeah, I have a, I have especially highlighted things. I have so many things for this section. Cool, why don't you start? Okay, so we got into a little bit uh, last book about the difference between wizard spell and wizard magic and bard spells and bard magic, which is kind of breaks down to wizard spells are more you know academic they're more structured uh harriet here says that it is both an art and a science and we get here also that bard spells uh so snape is a is a singer so a lot of his spells are songs but we also get here that it's bard magic isn't just music magic it's really like the magic comes from the uh act of creating and of being and like having a creative outlet so you can have painter bards chef bards computer programmer bards which i especially love love this whole thing and we are also introduced to uh warlock spells wait but hold on before we leave bards because i just wrote in my book really big podcaster bards with a bunch of question marks after podcaster how did i not think about that oh my god officially you and i are podcaster bards yes i am here i have a, i have a little bit about that once i get really gushy in the in our takeaway about how great this book is so awesome yes i know i was trying to think of like what kind of bard would i be <laughs> podcast bard obviously obviously uh and then we get more on the kind of third kind of magic in this world which is uh warlock magic which is 
a little bit ham-fistedly said that if, uh, you know, if uh, wizard magic is brain over heart, then warlock magic is heart over brain. And we get, mostly what we get here in this book is a lot of hypnotic brain-like, hypnotic magic, very kind of manipulating people's brains and sort of perceptions and shit, which honestly sounds cool. (laughs) I'm like really having a hard time deciding if I'd want to be a bard or a warlock in this world. So warlocks, both in this magical system and in some Tumblr posts that I saw sometime, uh, get their magic from an exterior source. And so in this world, according to this book and the first book, most warlocks get their magic through some sort of contract with Chuck Tingle, though Magini seems to get hers through a contract with JK Recreation because she is not in league with pure cinnamon roll Chuck Tingle. Yeah, there's there's no there's no love in her magic. It is all spite, which yes. is why I think she's hot. <laughs> <laughs> I also don't think that a warlock who got their power through a contract with the mysterious author could do things like mind control because that does, unless it, there's explicit consent, doesn't, doesn't prove love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, I think, that, I think that's great. I, I think you are. No, that was a, a good addition to the sort of description of the magic system, which is so good. It's so good. I just love it so much. I was reading like a Tumblr thread from someone who was reading uh, the first Harriet Porter book. And the last thing, the last comment in it was Chuck Tingle's magical system is unironically better than J.K. Rowling's. And I was like, yes, 110 percent better. So much more nuanced and interesting. It's so much better. Yeah, petition for everyone to stop sorting themselves into Hogwarts houses and to start sorting themselves into a wizard, bard, or warlock. Hell yeah. All right, I want to talk about Exactilis Desirous. This was maybe the only, like, qualm I had with the book because I just have a hard time, based on how we saw the spell work in book one, I had a hard time believing that casting that spell would result in things like being able to make your team win a sports game or even make you win the lottery. Because although under capitalism, getting a bunch of money seems can often be the solution, uh, historically seems to be the case that winning the lottery mostly only causes terrible things to happen for people. So like that specific form of getting a bunch of money doesn't actually seem like it would be what a spell as like pure as exactalist desirous would do to like solve that problem so like we saw it work by you know the ore floating up at the end of the book and then i would argue that we continue to see her first attempts at casting that spell play out through this book like i think exactalist desirous is the reason that she runs into serial black um, I think it's the reason that uh, Neva is the one who is like there on stage in the moment when Magini is going to kill Harriet. So my question, I guess, for you is, was there some sort of 
hacking of the spell that people were using, like modifying it to be able to make it do specific things. Like, because I thought the point of the spell was you couldn't choose what it did. It gave you much like a tarot reading, what you need when you need it. You don't always know or rarely know what you need. The spell knows. Or did someone just like intentionally like make it look like the spell was doing something that it wasn't in order to like fuck Harry it over? I don't know. I guess I honest I honestly was like, yeah, the problem is capitalism. It's not it's not you, Harriet. <laughs> just partly because of all of the money tied up into our money that can be made from companies trying to uh, cash in on our collective unhappiness that capitalism brings to us all i mean the the sporting event thing i mean i don't watch sports so i don't quite i don't quite get i mean i'm sure there are people who's who's who maybe that would be their own desire would be to see their sports team win and i think the the lottery winners thing i i mean i don't i don't think that's an exaggeration considering I mean, I've met people who play the lottery every day and a lot of people who win the lottery are people who play like every day or like every week or something. And and, and so I, I I think that the dream of winning the lottery being exactly what someone would need at that time. I don't know. I guess that I guess that makes sense to me just as me being like, what would make my life better? This fascist country being a like socialist utopia, <laughs> you know? And being like, oh yeah, like people, if if I had that spell and someone else was like, my dream is to have it be the white motherland, then and it's kind of like, I I think I can kind of get how the magic could get out of hand, not necessarily on anything that Harriet did, just because of the complex desires of people. But it, even though it's desirous, it's what you need when you need it. And that seems to be being determined by the universe. So like, even if the biggest thing that you want is for your sports team to win, the universe doesn't care. Like mm-hmm. if you, like I keep thinking about it in terms of like how tarot readings work and how I won't, I don't do a thing where people will be like, I want a reading about my relationship. I'm like, you're going to get a reading about whatever the tarot says you need to hear about right now. It mm-hmm. might be your relationship, but it might not. Mm-hmm. And so like, I just, I feel like this is, this is a, the way we saw it work in the first book. This is a spell that you can't cast with, you can cast it with something specific in mind, but like that doesn't necessarily matter. You know, she had cast this spell before she got in that car accident in the first book. Like, a bunch of bad things happen yeah. before the spell, like, takes, does what it needs to do when it saves her from Delatrix. Mm-hmm. So I feel like even if, right, like a terrible white supremacist uses this spell, the universe is what's deciding what they need when they need it. That's true. And fundamentally i think i we have to believe that the universe is good right yeah it's gonna make good decisions it doesn't actually care what this person's personal hateful beliefs are Mm -hmm. but i think you're right that it is a threat to capitalism because what people need when they need it is almost never going to be in line with what capitalism wants our society to be so yeah i think they could have like faked it and banned it saying that it was doing things like causing all of these like sports teams upsets and lottery winners and whatever but when in reality they were just like oh my god what if everyone like didn't have to work miserable 
jobs anymore and like the economy collapsed right i don't know and i mean the lottery itself is a pretty inequitable thing that the government fucking does it's just like preying on the hopes and dreams of people who don't have enough money you know and it's kind of like it maybe it would be balanced in the universe to just to hand out all the money every day like fuck it every, most people ran winning those fucking mega millions like why the fuck not yeah but yeah i think but i think you're right that it is a danger to capitalism which is why they had they had to be because <laughs> mm-hmm. the system is broken yeah mm-hmm. why would the un get involved you know <laughs> because yeah. oh maybe what people need is for their their homes and their countries to not be full of colonizers trying to kill them like hmm yeah hmm. oh god yeah i know and soon this becomes unfortunately very topical <laughs> our podcasts have a way of doing that <sighs> all right yes what do you have next uh so we i think as uh we've also argued about in the podcast before is how the fuck food and magic works say in harry potter and chuck tingle gives us an answer in this world where calling the sentient mailbox is like you can't eat this cake that you've transmogrified to be a like a four three-story tall cake because it's full of magic mm-hmm. it's just it's just magic there's no, like you wouldn't like you can't or wouldn't want to eat that and i'm like what a good point <laughs> i know i was so happy <laughs> <laughs> like i think in my brain i just imagine it being made of like foam like not like actually foam but if you were to eat it it would be like eating foam you're like this is mm-hmm. just nothing right yeah, that was a real, like, thank God the nerds are so happy moment for me, <laughs> where I was just like, an answer! Like, <laughs> this is so great. I love it when we get answers to questions like this. Yeah, and, I mean, again, we often talk about how the magic in Harry Potter doesn't make any goddamn sense, because the system of it doesn't seem to make any sense. And it doesn't take much just to ask, yourself as if you're a if you're a writer or whatever in your world building how does food and magic interact or how are people in this impossible magical city like where are they going to the bathroom at like you have to you have to like i think basing it in the sort of real questions that would come up is important for your Mm -hmm. world building yeah and not just like there's just some sauce pouring out of my wand which doesn't make any sense (laughs) yeah Yeah, that was my next one also i really love seeing snabe attempting to figure out this teleportation spell i love that harriet figures out that he's on the roof because his note was too high that just made me really happy i also love that it just gives us an opportunity for like a minute to i think see inside one of chuck's like you know i nerded out on wikipedia for a while moments to be like did you know how fast the earth is fucking hurtling through space like i want to talk to you about it and i found a way to work that into my book and i was like thank you because i also want to talk about this (laughs) like this is so interesting thank you so much i actually i actually love that bit so much too uh i i feel that not enough 
fantasy slash sci-fi addresses the fact again right with time travel or with some kind of transportation magic right the earth the earth is moving the solar system is moving the universe is moving so if you were to appear at the exact same spot the earth conceivably wouldn't even be there right i think i've only read i've read i have read a short story that addresses this it was in i think like a sci-fi anthology for middle schoolers and it was like someone invented time travel like someone's mad scientist dad invented time travel and they're like why did why did he and all these people go missing and then our main character's like i'm gonna go back in time and then she appears in space and there's this that the second of her awareness being like oh no and then like the story ends oh my god yeah that's so dark for a middle school book <laughs> i th- i think it was like creepy stories or I don't remember what kind of collection. Of course, I read a bunch of like weird sci-fi shit when I was in like middle school. So I don't remember the exact theme, but I mean that has stuck with me for like twenty years because such a good point about moving through time and space is that you have to account for space time also. Yeah, yeah, I loved it. I loved it so much. It was. It also like was really well timed. I read this while Evan and I were on vacation, and. We like the last night that we were there, we were out in the woods. And so we were like laying on the ground, looking at the stars and like talking about the things that you talk about while you're looking at stars, like the black hole at the center of our galaxy and like the existence of dark matter and whatever. And so then on our drive home, I was like reading him Wikipedia articles about all of these things while we drove. And the a lot of what was coming up was like the speed at which everything is moving. And I was like, yes, I was just reading about this in my Chuck Tinkle book. <laughs> when we were discussing teleportation. <laughs> it was great. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Black, black holes are so awesome. Dark matter. Fucking weird. I love it. Okay. So because this is about theaters and we get to look inside a couple of different theaters, I just want to point out that the architecture of theaters and concert halls is basically magic because you're manipulating building material in order to create like a perfect or ideally a perfect arena for you for you to be able to clearly hear someone from far away. And that's wild. Like I that's like magic. Like how? <laughs> what? <laughs> it's incredible. <laughs> I don't know. (laughs) Architecture is so cool. It's just so incredible to me. It is really cool. And there are apparently only a couple of acoustically perfect music halls left. And one of them is in Detroit. So I'm like, that's cool. That is cool. (laughs) Which is it? I think it's the the Max, formerly the music hall. So and they do like they do like concerts and classical music and a bunch of other stuff. It's pretty cool. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> what else do you have? Uh, I think that the mysterious moving box is just rad as hell. I just think it's so fucking cool. It's so much more interesting than like Hermione's Mary Poppins bag. Yes. I have a question for you, though. Yes. Is this also somehow a Doctor Who joke? Because it's bigger on the inside. And it's a mysterious... I mean, I know it's like both for moving, but it's also a mysterious moving box that you could... Any, I don't know. If it was blue, I would say yes. I don't think it's blue, though. It's not blue. I want one, though. 
Fuck yes. It is also, again, it is the most practical magic item I have maybe ever heard of. And like, in a way that for whatever reason, even though I know that you could like, I don't know, put a grandfather clock in Hermione's tiny beaded bag. I don't think about her tiny beaded bag and be like, oh, that'd be so useful for moving. Like, it doesn't feel like real magic the same way that this moving box that like gets big enough for you to load everything into and then you get to watch it magically reconfigure itself until it's tiny that feels so much more magical to me and it seems like you wouldn't destroy your stuff like say Hermione like she's just putting things in her bag and things are like knocking over and it's just it's like shoving your things into a backpack a very large backpack but yeah can't put glass in there it's just gonna anyway yeah this seems so much more practical and it gets worked into the plot in a way that's like excellent i think yeah i i really liked it i really love the mention about when harriet talks about how much work goes into wizard spells where they need to have like safety protocols and like philosophical considerations which everyone we need philosophical considerations for new technology like for real clearly humanity is not equipped to handle (laughs) facebook (laughs) or like or nuclear (laughs) weapons or self-driving cars like like serious we should be having ethical and philosophical conversations about the usefulness of this technology and yeah and i really like that it's being applied here to magic which Mm -hmm. also yes what a good point Absolutely. Yeah, that line about the teleportation spell where it has things written into it so that you can't like materialize in the middle of like the middle of space or the air, whatever, not on a solid surface. And also like you can't end up, you know, I don't know, stuck inside a car engine or something like that is I was just like, this is so fucking rad. Also made me like a little bit be like, okay, so this book made me feel like Chuck Tingle has more Ravenclaw in him than I was taking into account last time we spoke with him and decided he was a Hufflepuff. Because we're getting all of our nerd questions answered here. He could be Hufflepuff, Sun, Ravenclaw, Moon. Yeah, maybe. I think that's right. Or vice versa. Yeah. Um. All right, my last thing here is I... Everything about, like, Bumbleborn's specific magic, the, like, mixing of, like, magic and technology, I was so here for it. It's so rad. Yes, I love it. Yeah, um, I mean, I'm really here for more of a combining sci-fi and fantasy in such a way. Where it's like, yes, let's combine magic and technology. It's gonna be cool. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah, it's way more interesting than being, like, magical instruments go haywire it. Hogwarts or I hate that there's a secret government Frankenstein monster in season four of Buffy this is a fantasy show I'm just like but why not both why not both truly truly why not why not both and then it makes it so cool when during sort of the climax of the book Magini lets off or her hench people whatever people she'd mind wipe the doing her bidding let off an EMP, which fucks with the technology and the, ma- like, it's like, they're so connected. It's like, oh shit, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, and along with obviously having a kind of magical 
backup. But like that, like that is the weakness of combining magic and technology is that if you have an EMP, your magic isn't gonna the magic part isn't gonna work still. And right. just as important as it is it is to have a magic system that makes sense is you don't want to be so overpowered that nothing can it doesn't have weaknesses. Right. Which is unrealistic. Right. I mean, yeah. Pokemon's doing it right, you guys. <laughs> even the, <laughs> even the, the different types of different weaknesses. And you just gotta work that into your magical world building. I also loved that, at least I had gotten, you know, so into the book by the time that we got to the the EMP scene that I had, like, fully forgotten about the, like, foreshadowing of it at the beginning of the book. And then it happened and I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> Like, oh, that's where that was going. I remember. It was great. Yeah. Yeah, I also specifically love that. It's like, all right, cool. So we're coming back to this theater at some point in the book. Great. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to Marianus Controllus, where we talk about the Harry Potter influences. Get it? Because it's a reflection. Yeah? Cool. Okay. <laughs> I was like, I don't know how much this one makes sense, but we start we start off strong with the Silver Morning Hotel, which I didn't get until the end of the book because my interaction with anything outside of the original seven book canon is almost nothing. And then all of a sudden I was like, oh, that's the name of the American Magic School. I remember. It it took me a, it took me a couple of chapters of them talking about it to be like oh that's what's happening. Uh, we also have not explicitly HP but uh, Billabogo Fountain, which I'm assuming is a Lord of the Rings shout out. Yeah, I think so too. I was one. I was questioning it, but I'm pretty sure yes. I think so too. Um, and we get Argon. Which I after the Bill Bilbogio fountain, I was like, wait, is this Aragorn or is this Argus Filch? <laughs> I still don't know. I was also trying to figure that out. <laughs> I assume that because it's a concierge that it's Filch, probably. Mm-hmm. They also Harriet and Snape go to the fourth broomstick. Fourth <laughs> broomstick. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so good um we have fanboy mailbox calling creepy which is maybe of all of the characters with harry potter character inspired names the one that's the closest to the harry potter character that they're named for i think because mm-hmm. yeah fanboy mailbox really is colin creepy's whole vibe <laughs> honestly truly truly (laughs) i love it so much and i have of course already shouted out neva longbottle who is i mean my favorite and also like her book counterpart gets to uh behead an evil snake with a a large sword Mm -hmm. and uh good for her truly (laughs) yep she gets much more of the recognition that she deserves in this book than she does in Harry Potter, too. Yeah, and then she like leans into it at the end where she's like, I'm going to wear this armor and this giant sword and incorporate it into my own magic shard. I'm like, that's right. 
Yes. <laughs> lean, lean into this. Oh, yes. <laughs> I was unbelievably amused by the part where Snape says that one should hope to undergo a gradual character arc because... <laughs> Wait, how did I finish that? <laughs> uh, it's like when him and Harriet are talking about how they're like starting a sequel and she was like, isn't our life like one long book? And he was like, kind of. They're like interconnected books when hopefully you undergo a gradual character arc. And I was like, oh, you should go tell Snape that because he never got one. <laughs> so good. Just... Yeah, it just felt like it was there specifically for us. see i'm going through my notes at some point my notes about the funny bits is just the notes of all the shots fired of course we've mentioned the great nagini who's a giant snake but a sexy giant snake just so you know (laughs) Uh, we have cereal black I was like, okay, I was also trying to imagine in my brain what the box, the like cereal box logo would look like for cereal black. And I don't know. There aren't obviously black cereal boxes, but for some reason I just kept imagining the raisin bran box or just like the half, the half sun in it. Cause it's just like, would amuse me <laughs> to have this very sunny box. And it's just like, I am alone in the desert. <laughs> because kicked as ran out by this terrible corporation now all i can do is just brood in the desert it's like all right great all right <laughs> <laughs> yeah i i definitely laughed so hard when harriet is like you're like a prisoner out here it's <laughs> like this is the best fucking <laughs> cereal black it's, i want the cere- just... i want a cereal black spinoff honestly <laughs> Serial Black Finds Love. Yeah. With with obvious giant werewolf. I know. (laughs) Real hard to parody Remus Lupin's name, though, because he already has a parody name. So your name is Wolf Wolf, uh, and you're trying to pretend like you're not a werewolf. I don't know. If this is gonna work in your favor. Um, I think the last one was Grendel Dad, right? New one mm-hmm. for this book. But same joke. <laughs> yes. Three times this time that he Well, I, right. Last time it was just Bumbleborn being like, I'm gay, and this time Grendel Dad is like, We are fucking. Hello. Please let me make it abundantly clear. I it happens three times and I laughed every single time. It's so good. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, I think every time that he mentions it, it's just like a little bit more of a dig, and I'm like, here for this. Yeah, definitely. The last time is really, really good, too, because it's like, everyone's like, all right, it's showtime, let's go, and Grindelbad's like, and I just want to say again (laughs) that we are explicitly in a relationship. Put that in the text. Bye. Welcome to Brilliana Luminous, where we shine a light upon J.K. Rowling. So, yes, this is where the shots fired 
comes in. Everything that's like specifically about J.K. Rowling and like what this book has to say about her and her terribleness all goes here. Yeah, uh, I put in my notes that this book is an AK-47 of shots fired, but uh-huh. <laughs> I. Th- <laughs> So yeah, because um, I have, I have, I think I have every instance of explicitly calling her out, like highlighted. Uh, okay, so I'm gonna start off with maybe the, the first maybe subtle one that I caught, which is when Neva comes up to Harriet to be like, it's it really means a lot for me that you're like working your way through the wizarding industry, and it's great to like have someone to look up to and like Harrod's having a moment and Neva's having a moment and they're like and then they embrace and they have a hug and it's just like suck it <laughs> like suck it chicken <laughs> in a really tender way that I just love yeah okay I put all my squishy stuff in the takeaways and all of my like pointy stuff in this section okay then I, I think everything else is I think that was that's maybe the only alright I will try to keep this more the pointed shots fired stuff then so the first thing that we learn about JK Recreation, which I'm going to just be referring to as JK Rec, <laughs> is that they sue everyone either for copyright infringement or for libel slash slander if the copyright infringement doesn't work. And, you know, she sure does. <laughs> like, yep. <laughs> She's sued so many people and threatened to sue so many people. Yeah. And the, yeah, and this and so this call out works in the text directly because this uh JK Rec is also terrible. But yeah, it's just this is just what happens. Like <laughs> word for word. Yeah, earlier earlier in that chapter to describe JK Rec is just like, oh, this they're known for their shady business practices and even worse positions in the realm of human rights. But with oh, such yeah. deep pockets, there's not much anyone can do about it. The human rights thing is, I didn't even realize how specific a dig that was. It's so specific. <laughs> uh, for anyone who's wondering, J.K. Rowling had a human rights award that she was given revoked because of her transphobia and tried to pull a like you can't fire me i quit where she was like gave it back before they could take it away from her which honestly is a worse look than having it taken away she'd be like fuck your human rights (laughs) (laughs) uh yeah (sighs) yeah um i love the line about how i think minerma says the things that the great magini likes on twingler tell us more about who she is and what she believes and what her words tell us mm-hmm. also really just real good yeah it, it's like i mean twitter is its own fucking hellscape and i just and i think what i really like about all of these uh takedowns is sort of it's uh overall critiques about billionaires Mm. there's a line earlier where it's like this is what it's like to be in the presence of uninhibited financial power there are no rules and that's yeah Mm -hmm. and like with that much money you can just go on the internet and 
say some things and everyone's going to be like, we're not going to do anything. Right. I loved the, I, I love that the book sort of takes into account the, the escalation of the real JKR story, right? Starting with her liking things on Twitter and people being like, whoa, look at what she's been liking on Twitter and including, you know, it's called JK Recreation because they do fucked up things and then say, just kidding. And which is very like, you know, her first transphobic tweets that she liked, her publicist was like, no, oops, she didn't mean to like that. Her finger slipped, like, just kidding. It just, it's all, it's all taken into account in the way that this book is unfolding. And I, which I just like, it's just real good. I know. I think next time JKR does or says something fucked up and people are like, I don't understand what's happening. We'll just be like, read this book. <laughs> go give, <laughs> go give Chuck Tingle $14 and you will find out what happened and also get an uh, incredible uplifting message. Yes, exactly. Uh, <laughs> and then we get such an excellent metaphor for this when Harriet is figuring out that the theater that the great McGinney wants to sell them is like crumbling at its foundation. Mm-hmm. And it's like the in the the book says, well, this place had a professional scene, but horrific inner workings once the curtain was pulled back. The true heart of the of this theater is weaving its way through everything. Yes. <laughs> sure mm-hmm. is. Pull back that curtain. Like I just love how it's specific to JKR, but also just like fuck billionaires. <laughs> yeah. I wrote down the quote, a certain someone doesn't actually own the wizarding community. It belongs to the fans now, and the fans can decide if they want to accept hate and bigotry because they have power too. They can make their own communities because no one owns magic. And I was like, yes. (laughs) This book is truly uh, come for the poor and stay for the radical left indoctrination. One hundred percent. Because, like, I feel like that this sentiment obviously direct JKR, but it could also go for Disney, which is also its own terrible conglomerate of keep fucking with our copyright laws to hold on to all their fucking money. And I would argue. That is specifically addressed in the part where Sirius says that he originally wrote the cleaning spell to be executed by anthropomorphic brooms with buckets and then said, but I want to make sure it stays in the realm of parody. So I updated it to be modern (laughs) cleaning supplies. I was like, oh shit, look at you looping in other like mega fucking conglomerates that do terrible things to people. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Truly... Truly the bane of our existence. I feel like Serial Blacks is a lot, like, directly says a lot of things that are, like, just so blatantly just directed at JK. I didn't invent wizards. So good. <laughs> <laughs> I hope part of this is a line from Chuck Tingle's lawyer being like, what are you doing? <laughs> Trying to sue us. <laughs> god honestly i don't and ever want chuck tingle to be sued but i feel like the ground swell of like 
community support that would happen and the like unbelievable GoFundMe to raise money for the legal battle might be the biggest kick in the face to fucking JK Rowling that could possibly happen if that if that were to happen. Yeah. And I mean I think and I think you're right. This would be such a it'd be such a weak trial. It'd be like Yeah. This is a this is a story that has nothing you're right. It's Yeah. It's I mean I feel like Weird Al Yankovic is like walking proof that parody is deeply protected by the first amendment i so the the part where uh mcginney is gonna eat harriet and she's like is that actually i don't remember when she says this maybe this is when she's just bought out mick flamel she says dollars speak louder than good vibes happy endings aren't for people like you harriet and i was like I don't know, it just felt very like our last episode, our episode on the previous book was called Trans People Get a Happy Ending, and it felt very like pointed of like, no, JK Rowling is never gonna let you just like have happiness, but then it's like, no, the community is gonna wrench the happiness from your like evil snake knot claws and take it back for ourselves, and it just felt really complete in a very nice way. Yeah. Yeah, I think that, yeah, no, you are, you are correct. And also just sort of, like, intersecting a little bit of the, like, class discussion where it's, I've got a bunch of money and you don't. Like, poor people don't deserve a happy ending. And it's like, well, we have collective power, though. (laughs) So, Mm -hmm. fuck you. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. All right, I have one more thing, which is uh, towards the end of the book, we get... A, a bit from a bit from Snape, where he's like, "In this reality, J.K. Wreck is a bigoted is a bigoted magical conglomerate that likes to restrict opposing voices through legal intimidation and a vague support of discrimination, while really directly saying these things themselves. In other realities, they could be anything: a sports team, a government agency, a fantasy writer. <laughs> Just." <laughs> No. <laughs> I, I like I, listeners are like touching my face because I don't know how to express just the feeling I have about how great this passage is oh it's so good it's so good I know welcome to Exactilus Desirous where we talk about our main takeaways from the book all of the most emotionally poignant moments when we cried etc how many times did you cry did you probably like three i think i think i cried twice i think everyone on instagram was betting on me being squishier than i was i was surprised at myself i was like oh i'm letting the people down But that's still, like, two more times than I almost ever cry at a book. So, you know, coming in hot (laughs) with the tender (laughs) feelings. (laughs) That's also not counting, and maybe I should, the fact that when I went and picked this book up from the bookstore, I opened it, got to the... So I have a paper book, so it's, like, cover, title page, and then little forward that just says your voice is so important to this timeline signed chuck tingle and i fully teared up just 
know. So if I'm counting that, I guess I cried three times. That's so sweet. Aw. I know. Okay, so the, the first part was definitely with Neva and Harriet mm. meeting, and I'm like, oh no. Yeah, that was one of mine too. Actually, I might have a lot about a lot of things that are just like, I just wrote crying emoji in my notes. <laughs> <laughs> and I think a little bit like in the uh, last book, there's a lot of really great messages about the power of like creating things. And uh, there's a bit where Harriet's going through her magic show about love, where it's this force is in all of us. And while I have the power to manifest it as an energy in the palm of my hand, you can manifest it in other ways. You can create a poem or write a story or sing a song. You can deliver your message in a way that makes sense to you. And I'm just like, mm-hmm. it's just so good. Mm-hmm. Like, it's real magic, you guys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, my God. Such, such good messages. I I don't remember if this is from the same one or if this is from later, where it says there are many ways to deliver these messages. The question is, what do you want them to say? What kind of messages are we going to amplify as a community? The choice is ours. <sighs> yeah, that, that whole bit, I was just kind of like, I just had a lot of feelings about. Yeah. Yeah. It felt like all of the, the whole message of this book feels very... Just, I mean, so, like, identifiable and, like, particularly topically relevant to, like, you and I specifically and the community around the Gailey Prophet. So I think all all of that, all of the stuff about, like, community power and it all just felt very, like, oh, yeah, like, this is, this is why, this is why, like, the first thing that I have in this section is when Harriet gets to the, the magic shop she says, I've had a strained relationship with magic lately and realizing how supporting and how supportive and loving this community is has restarted my engine a bit. And I was like, yeah, hashtag mood. Like, <laughs> like that's exactly, exactly how it is that we are still making this podcast a year after Turfageddon 2020 happened is because of the support and love of the community around the the world of harry potter as as a separate thing from jkr yeah and just also i guess it's it's really easy for me since you know whenever we're recording i'm just i'm just talking i'm just talking to you <laughs> lark mm-hmm. and, and then it goes out into the world and it's just like it's out in the world that's a thing that is hard for me to conceptualize a little bit <laughs> And then people write us about how it's like this podcast, like changing their lives and people being like, I have, you know, I'm coming out either with my sexuality or my gender. And I'm just like, what sorcery is this? (laughs) (laughs) It's podcaster bard day. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah. And just like. It's like, you know, we are, we are in fact connected in a community that is like, oh, it's very beautiful. I don't know. It's just, I get very emotional about that. Yeah. That is also a lot about like this plot of the book is sort of giving the kind of work you can do with your community and fighting, fighting the power. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) 
I don't know. I feel like some of the, like, my last couple of notes are sort of the, about the sort of uh, themes here about, you know, magic also is, you know, connection and power and joy and love, which now that I said that out loud sounds way cheesier than it comes across in the book. (laughs) I mean, it's, I guess it's not because in a lot of the kind of climax of the book where Harriet is doing her show and she's being sabotaged by the great Magini. But, I mean, for a while the audience, like, doesn't know just because Serial Black and Snape are, like, helping her out to kind of fight the gross evil, you know, sabotage that is happening. Mm -hmm. And... I mean, sometimes you just want there to be a happy ending and not have to just be like, oh, it's all fucking sad and grimdark. Mm-hmm. Which I think we also talked about in our episode talking about the first book some, too. Uh, but there's definitely a lot of, like, direct kind of, like, fight the power <laughs> in this book. Yeah. I mean, I mean he, think he, he literally says speak truth to power in somewhere. Yes, in one definitely. Of these quotes, which I'm like, fuck yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I also really love the, you know, because it is all about sort of like community togetherness and like how by coming together as a community and like deciding what we stand for and each contributing in the way that we are able, we can like. Oh, you know, take down something like JK Recreation. Like one of the big messages I wrote down was that however you stand up to bigotry and bullying is fine as long as you do it with integrity. Because I feel like that's a lot of what is talked about here. But another thing that I really loved is that the metaphor of like, McGinney can't use mind control on Harriet or presumably on anyone else who is magic because magic people's minds are too strong and like by the end of the book the point is like and magic is in all of us everyone here in harriet's theater of love regardless of whether they're actually magic people or not or like you know bards or warlocks or wizards or whatever and it's like you know jk rowling's out here being like i love trans people while saying all of these horrible transphobic things and it's like we can all see through her and like be able to come together to like fight her because our minds are are too strong and so like collectively as a community we have the power to be able to do that and i just like this is this is good it is very good (laughs) i like didn't even realize that but that is so good you're right Ugh. This is a really, it's a really good book. Y'all, seriously, you should read this book. You should also read just more Chuck Tingle books, just in general. I strongly recommend it. I know. Also, we get some surprise ACAP, which I always appreciate. Because the, the, the police are all, like, corrupt because of all of the money. And they're oh, like, that's not right. going to investigate the car crash. Like, seriously, the, like... Radical left indoctrination in this book is excellent. <laughs> <laughs> I love it so much. And like, I think it's just funny because there's always sort of the argument or like not always sort of, but I think, I think whenever you have 
books written by people with marginalized identities, suddenly there's a conversation about political messaging in books, even if it is like, hey, I am a whole person (laughs) that I do not deserve to be oppressed or murdered. And it's like, but the integrity of fiction. And it's like, (laughs) honestly, who gives a fuck? (laughs) It's really because it's like, you can be this blatant about your, you know, leftist, you know, political values where it's like, you're a hero if you set up to those in power and they claim that it's not. And it's just like, yes, exactly. And it turns out you can in fact make it work in a fictional story and not have it be a like, this is just propaganda. This is just shoving it down our throats. And it's like... The only thing we're shoving down your throat is Snape's bright orange tie. (laughs) (laughs) It's self-lubricating already. It's going to go down so easy. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I think we should definitely add this to the, like, gay agenda starter pack. Um, I just have one closing quote. So I want to leave us with with this. J.K. Reck has been trying to silence the voices of the community, but we all have each other's backs. A whole army of folks who are on the exact same mission to spread joy and love and acceptance to anyone who needs it. To shout from the rooftops that magic is a place for everyone and that there's always room for another friend in the theater of love. That's like a perfect way to end this. It's so beautiful. All right. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Gaily Prophet. So, folks, we will be recording an interview about this book with Chuck Tingle on June 17th. So we want you to write to us with any thoughts or questions or comments that you have that you want us to ask him or talk about with him. You need to get those to us by June 16th at the very latest, if you want them to be considered for our conversation, but please do. We really want you to be a part of this conversation and it's going to be fucking rad. We're so excited to talk with Chuck again. Yeah, this and this is your, you know, that gives you also plenty of time to buy buy this book for yourself. Ask for it for Pride. Convince straight people who don't know any better that Pride is a gift-giving holiday and then have them <laughs> buy you this book. Yeah. <laughs> Do that. Gaily Prophet is a creation of Hashtag Ruthless Productions and is produced, mixed, and edited by me. Uh, you should uh, go on iTunes or Spotify. Give us a full star review of this here podcast because we feel awkward about in-person compliments, but this is great. <laughs> yeah, we love reading your compliments from the safety of our own computer. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, and you can find us on the internet on Twitter and Instagram at the Gaily Prophet. We are doing really cool things for Pride, so you should come check us out on our social media to see what cool things we're dropping. Or you can check us out on our website at hashtagruthless.com, where you can find our exclusive Harry Potter's for Everyone zine. Fun for fun for everyone. Um, We have some exclusive merch for Pride. 
and you can listen to our previous Pride episodes if you really want to get all of that uh, fun queer content into your life. Hell yeah. And if you are a gay with money, <laughs> you should <laughs> support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Prophet. Hell yes. You can find me upon the internet on Instagram at Lark Malachi or at LarkMalachi.com. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Jesse underscore Detroit or on Instagram at Live from Detroit. Our show art is by Theo Julian Forrester. The music in our intro is by Kevin McLeod. And until next time, sometimes all you need is a simple story with a lot of love behind it. <laughs>